We're going to read our sermon scripture now, which is Ephesians chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 10. Uh, I do want to thank everybody that's involved with our music, putting together our easy worship, and Ethan and Brian jumping in back there, filling in for our normal crew, Tom and Elias back there. A lot of people serve in a lot of ways that you don't often see or think about. And uh, when you're trying to wrangle technology, sometimes it's just very difficult. And I really appreciate everybody who serves in those ways. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pray. Father, we are here to receive your word now. Would you please clear the way of anything that would hinder us, whether it's just simple sleepiness or distractions or some worry or concern that is louder in our brain than your word is in our ears? Would you please soften our hearts so that we would be receptive and moldable in your hands? Would you please strengthen us to be able to see beyond just the words on the page and hear beyond just my words through this microphone? to see your glory and hear your voice. Would you just unleash your full, powerful word among us now for your glory and for the good of your church? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you for praying with me. So I've mentioned this before, but are you familiar with the concept that some people believe that we only use roughly 10% of our brains? Have you heard that concept? that we have the capacity within our brains to do 90% more intellectually than we do with them. I think that's been debunked. I don't think that's actually true, but maybe I'm only using 10% of my brain to think about it, and maybe that's why I believe that. But it's an intriguing idea, the thought that if we could discover the secret and unlock this 90% potential of our brains, what could we accomplish? Did anybody see the movie Limitless? I still will refer to movies, even though I know you don't watch any of the movies I'm referring to. I, this is not an endorsement of the movie. It, I'm sure it has terrible content, but the premise of the movie is a guy finds a, gets a pill that unlocks the full potential of his brain, and all of a sudden he's learning languages, and he's remembering everything he's ever read in a book or anything he's ever even heard from a conversation behind him in a coffee shop. And he's gaining all these skills, and he becomes rich, and he, it's, it's the fantasy of what we would do if we could unlock the full potential 
of our brains. Uh, sadly, we probably have unlocked the full potential of our brains. This is just who we are. Now, I bring that up because I wonder if we are only taking advantage of a small percentage of what is available to us as Christians. If you could quantify God's blessings that are available to us, that are genuinely ours through Jesus Christ, numerically, what percentage would you say you are at in terms of your enjoyment of these blessings and your functioning in light of these blessings? So we'll take two in particular because they're the two highlighted in our two verses this morning. We're only going to look at verses one and two. Grace and peace. As Christians, we are recipients of supernatural grace and supernatural peace that come directly from God himself. That's biblically true. So think about grace. That's simply it just means God's kindness, but as you know, the full counsel of Scripture, it means the blessings that God gives us that we didn't earn, that we don't uh, deserve. And that's manifold. Just within what we just read, there's tons of examples of God's grace toward us. So would you say you're living 100% in light of all of God's grace toward you? Well, probably none of us feel like we're living 100% in light of God's grace toward us. What percentage will you put yourself at? 90%? 50%? 10%? Negative 13%? I this is a this is just a thought experiment. There's no real way to quantify this, but it's an interesting way to think about it. Take his peace that we're going to read about. Peace here is, it is a, a type of tranquility, but it's the type of tranquility that comes from having been made whole in your relationship with God, in your relationships with your fellow Christians, and therefore also within yourself. God gives us wholeness, healed relationships with himself and our fellow Christians. So would you say you're living 100% in light of that wholeness that is yours in Christ? That peace? 75%? What would you write down if I made you write it down and you were going to have to tell the church? I'm not going to do that. Be thinking about it, though, as we look at these two verses. We're beginning a new book study. You know we like to move through books of the Bible. It protects me from just preaching on my soapbox things that I care about, and it uh, helps us receive the full, well-rounded counsel of Scripture together. We finished the book of Galatians, according to my notes, uh, fall of 2021 in November. November 21st, 2021, we completed our study of Galatians. And we're going to start our next letter study here in the book of Ephesians now, and right now my plan is just to continue in Ephesians just indefinitely, maybe until we finish the entire book, but we'll see how slow I end up going. I don't know if it'll be another two-year, three-month trek like Romans was so long ago. Ephesians, from the beginning, in these first two verses, holds out for us grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's on the table. That's what's being extended to you as you attend to the book of Ephesians. And so I thought we could begin just by making a a commitment to one another. I will make a commitment to you to do my very best to prayerfully proclaim the book of Ephesians faithfully without injecting my own ideas and thoughts, without diluting it in that way. And I will try my best to get out of the way so as not to make it boring. 
Will you commit to being here every Sunday that you can, moving forward while we're studying the book of Ephesians? And will you commit to coming and doing your best to receive the book of Ephesians well? Sometimes it is difficult to sit and listen to a sermon. You guys probably don't know what I'm talking about because you mainly are here and I'm preaching and I know I'm so dynamic and I'm just so exciting and so energizing. But I do know it can be difficult to sit and listen to a sermon. Some of you are tired. Some of you have a lot on your minds. Some of you, your backsides are hurting from sitting in these pews. Sometimes we can come and we can endure a sermon rather than leaning forward and attentively and eagerly getting everything we can out of it. So I'm going to do my best for you. I'm wanting you to commit to doing your best to receive this book of Ephesians when you come for the sermons. So that means don't stay out late Saturday night because Sunday morning is important. Don't come in exhausted because you stayed up until 2.30 watching Netflix Saturday night. Get your rest. Come rested. Come ready. Don't wake up five minutes before you're supposed to be here and it's 15 minutes drive to get here. And so when you come in, you're stressed out to the max and you've been screaming at your family and you've been kicking your dog out of the way. Like wake up way earlier than you think you need to wake up and leave twice as much time to get here than you, as you think you need. Leave a lot of buffer because this is important. There is nothing more. What have you done this week that's more important than this? Receiving God's word. So let's commit to give our all to receiving from God's word together. And we'll start right now. And really, this sermon is just three reasons why you should indeed commit. Three reasons why we should anticipate great things as we receive God's word together, even starting today during this sermon. The first one is that this book of Ephesians is a message from God. This is a message from God. Look back at verse 1. Starts off, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So Paul is identifying himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, an apostle. Do you guys remember what an apostle is? The word literally just means sent one. It's a messenger boy. It's just someone who has been sent by someone of a higher rank with a message. So Paul is not writing here as a genius or like a social influencer or a celebrity or a researcher or anything like that. He is simply delivering the message Jesus Christ gave him to deliver. So the way it works, and this is something that was never really clearly explained to me when I was younger in the faith, and I don't know if I've ever tried to really clearly explain it to you as your pastor over these years. How it works, Jesus came... He gathered to himself disciples. Disciples are like students. They're learners. They were there to learn from Jesus. At different points, he had huge amounts of disciples, but from within that, he had 12 in particular that were, as you know, the 12 disciples. These disciples followed Jesus around. They heard his teaching. They saw his miracles. They saw the way he lived. They saw his sinlessness. They witnessed his authority over demons and illnesses. They heard his authoritative divine teaching. And then Jesus said, I'm about to have to go and die in payment for your sins. And then I'm going to be raised from the dead and I'm going to return to the Father. 
And it's good for you that I do that because then the Father will send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will bring to your memory everything that I've taught you and will teach you all things. And they didn't understand what he meant. But what he meant was the Holy Spirit would empower these disciples to become apostles. So the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, same people. They were transformed from just students of Jesus to now messengers of Jesus, who then went under the power of the Holy Spirit to establish the church. The book of Acts is a a great deal of the history of this. They established the church, and they wrote the scriptures of the New Testament. Now, not all of the books were written directly by the apostles, but they were all written by people at least in close enough association with the apostles to be able to convey this divine truth through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is what the apostles did. But we need to think about this for a minute because Paul here is identifying himself as an apostle. So quick, can you name the 12 apostles that Jesus gathered to himself? I bet a couple of you can. I see a couple of, yes, I can do it, head nods. I'll bet the majority of you can't. And that's because the majority of the 12 disciples slash apostles, you don't really hear anything about again. You don't hear a lot about them. There's some that you do, Peter, John, you know, the big guys, but a lot of them you don't. And then there's Judas, who betrayed Jesus, disqualifying himself as a disciple slash apostle, and then he committed suicide afterwards. And in the opening chapters of the book of Acts, you see the disciples, as they're preparing for this apostolic ministry, say, okay, we need to replace Judas. And they go through a prayerful process, and through that prayerful process, God identifies a man named Matthias. You thought I was going to say Paul, but no, Paul's still not in the picture. So Jesus is 12, replace one with Messiah, up oh, Messiah, Matthias. Still not Paul, though. Now, the 12 apostles are very important to church history. They were the foundation of the church. Through them came many books of the New Testament. But then there's Paul, this outlier. Why do we believe that he was an apostle? Why is he counted in their midst? Why would we consider the books of the Bible penned by Paul to be authoritative? And this is a really important question because there are many who would want to just cut those out of the Bible. Because a lot of God's most pointed confrontations of the world's values come from Paul's letters. And so there's a lot of motivation to say, let's just disregard Paul's letters. But we can't do that. And I'll give you a couple of reasons why. Okay, I'll give you five reasons why. Paul was, just like the other apostles, chosen by God and appointed directly by Jesus Christ. If you read Acts chapter 9, you'll see the story of his conversion. Paul was a rising star in Judaism, and he was zealously against Jesus Christ and the Christian movement, and he was a persecutor of the church. And then the risen Jesus appeared to him and confronted him and turned his whole life around and appointed him to the work of an apostle. So just like all the apostles, he was chosen and appointed by Jesus Christ himself. Another reason, similar to that, he witnessed personally and directly the risen Jesus Christ, which is one of the key qualifications of being an apostle. Third, and this one might take a little thought, he himself was definitely convinced that he was an apostle, a legitimate apostle of Jesus Christ. 
Now, I know just because someone thinks they're an apostle doesn't make them an apostle. But he definitely thought that about himself. You can see it clearly in his letters, especially First and Second Corinthians, where they were challenging his legitimacy as an apostle. Questions about his apostolic legitimacy aren't new. From the beginning, he was defending it. And he definitely saw himself that way. And he was careful about these things. You might remember from our study of 1 Corinthians, there was a place where he said, now this thing I'm telling you is not straight from Jesus, I'm telling you. This part is straight from Jesus. There he's trying to, he's being very careful to identify what he heard directly from Jesus versus what he is extrapolating from what Jesus taught. He took it seriously, in other words, but he thought of himself that way. Fourth, and I think this is probably the most convincing, the other apostles thought of him as an apostle. The other apostles who we know were directly commissioned by Jesus embraced Paul as a fellow apostle. So much so that the apostle Peter even writes in one of his apostolic authorized letters that what Paul wrote was scripture. So the apostles themselves embraced Paul as a fellow apostle. And then fifth, and this one probably is holds the least weight to non-Christians and maybe the most weight to Christians. When you study Paul's letters in the Bible, they are self-evidently authorized by God. They have the self-evident power of God's very word, just like the rest of Scripture. You see how they harmonize beautifully with everything else in Scripture. They do not contradict anything else in Scripture. They are a, a perfect fit in with God's word. And so, yes, Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ, sent by Jesus Christ. And this is extremely important because that means the book of Ephesians that we are about to attend to carries the very weight of God's own word. Just like Kathy read in the book of Isaiah, God's word does not go forth without accomplishing God's purposes. It's powerful. Ephesians is part of that. It's part of God's word. We're kind of used to that idea if you've grown up in the church, we're a little too familiar with the fact that this is God's word. It's kind of amazing that we could ever be bored reading it or hearing from it. If it was the first time you ever heard the concept that God himself has spoken and encoded it in the form of a book that he inspired, you would be glued to it. But familiarity breeds contempt. And so we do get bored and we have to rouse ourselves and we have to remember this is God's word. It's not Paul's word, it's not my word, it's God's word. It's a message from God, and this leads to our, our second reason why we want to commit to studying it together. It's a message from God, and second, it's a message to us. It is a message to us. Look at the second part of verse 1. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, first, you say, well, Matt, you say this is to us, but it says it's to saints, and I'm no saint. Saint means sacred and pure and consecrated and holy. And we're used to thinking of sainthood as a special class of super holy people. But the Bible doesn't use the word saint in that way. The Bible uses it to refer to any and every Christian. If you are a Christian, you have been so fully forgiven and so fully cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ that you are holy in God's eyes. You are consecrated. 
you are set apart for his holy purposes. And so if you are a Christian, if you are someone who has trusted in Jesus and is following Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, you too are a saint, like all recipients of the book of Ephesians. And you should think of yourself that way. You know, we've seen a lot scripturally about the Bible's viewpoint of humanity apart from Christ, and it is intense. It is awful. The Bible views the human condition as hopelessly, desperately unholy and unrighteous and wicked and evil, and even our best actions are tainted by selfishness or pride. But just as as low as the Bible's view of human nature is before Christ, it is extremely lofty after Christ. That Jesus looks at you and sees Jesus, I mean, God looks at you and sees Jesus' very own perfection. If you're a Christian, you are a saint in God's eyes, and therefore in reality. And so it is a message to us. But you say, well, this says to the saints who are in Ephesus. I'm not in Ephesus. I'm in Charlotte, or I'm in Midland, or I'm in Locust. Well, when Scripture was written to real people in a real place at a real time, but then encoded into the canon of Scripture, it then stands for God's people in every place and at all times, including us here and now. So it is to you in Charlotte and in Midland or around the world in New Zealand or wherever. This is a, a letter for all Christians. I want to tell you a little bit about Ephesus. I think it'll help us to receive the book a little better. Ephesus was a big deal city in the Roman Empire. It was the third biggest, most powerful city in the Roman Empire at this time. They were huge with trade. They were huge with idolatry, which was just a big part of ancient Roman culture. Temples to idols. There was a temple to Artemis, a pagan god that's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, was in Ephesus. So Paul planted a church there about 15, 20 years after Jesus' death. He put Priscilla and Aquila in charge there. You might remember their names if you know your scriptures. Later, a great teacher named Apollos came, and he ministered there as a teacher. You might remember his name as well. Years later, Paul came back and stayed there for three years ministering in Ephesus until he got forced out because there was a riot among the silversmiths because the gospel was spreading out with such popularity that people were forsaking the idolatry, and they weren't buying the silver idols anymore. And so the silversmith union got together and said, we need to do something about this. We need to get Paul out of here. And they ran him out of town. Later, he sent his protege Timothy to shepherd there and establish elders in Ephesus. Later than that, according to church history, the apostle John ministered there and likely wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John from Ephesus. Ephesus is a huge city in the scope of the New Testament. This letter is written directly to them. First and second Timothy were written to Timothy while he was shepherding there. Like I just said, first, second, third John were likely written from Ephesus. Ephesus shows up again in the book of Revelation. You remember that part of Revelation where he talks about a church that lost their first love? That was the church in Ephesus. So it's a big deal city. And it was a city full of paganism. And it was a city in which Christians were trying to live as faithful saints surrounded by idolatry and paganism and worldliness. It's described a little bit at the beginning of chapter 2. People dead in the trespasses and sins in which they walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, by nature children of wrath, like all the rest of mankind. That was their surrounding community. And so this is a letter written to Christians anywhere and everywhere, including right here, who are trying to be faithful saints, trying to live in light of their holy calling in a pagan land. And so we will find it very applicable to us. And then finally, it's a message from God, it's a message to us, and it's a message of grace and peace. That's what we need as Christians who are trying to live as faithful saints in a pagan land. We need God's grace, and we need God's peace, and that's what's offered to us. Look at verse 2, our last verse for this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a pretty typical greeting for an ancient letter. Christians weren't the only ones that began letters back then with grace and peace to you. But it takes on special concrete reality because through this letter, God offers real grace and peace to Christians who receive it. His kindness and his blessings over and above and beyond anything we deserve offer to us as we receive this letter. His peace, a greater experience of wholeness in our relationship with him, our relationship with one another, and within ourselves offer to us as we receive this letter. Everybody's desperate for grace and peace. Everybody's clamoring to find grace and peace. Everybody's looking for it in whatever they think they may find it. But only through God's supernatural offering through Jesus Christ and his word can you actually receive it. God's word is more than just true. It is powerful. God does his work through his word. We're not just going to learn about grace and peace. We are going to receive and grow in our experience of God's grace and peace. This isn't just the menu that tells us about it. It's the meal itself. And so I am very excited to see what the Lord will do among us as we attend to his scriptures together. I hope you will commit to come back and come back and come back. And I hope you will commit to prepare and to come eagerly with expectation. And I hope you will come and extract everything you can from God's powerful word through this study. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for loving us this much. I pray for your people here right now that they would already be experiencing a greater enjoyment of your grace through Jesus, a greater experience of your peace through Jesus, and that we as a church would be overflowing with it and so stabilized in it that we can actually minister to other people and not be all caught up in ourselves. We submit ourselves to you for this study today and uh, as we respond during the Bible study hour, but then moving forward every Sunday and every week ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen.